The Secrets of Movies and TV Shows is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to Coffee and Comics, part of the Secrets of Movies and TV Shows podcast, where we talk about the hidden meanings and deeper layers of superhero movies and the great comic book stories that they adapt. And today we'll be discussing Sony and Marvel's latest animated multiverse extravaganza, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. I'm your host, Thomas Salerno, and I'm joined today by Patrick Mason. Hello, Pat. Howdy, Tom. And by Andrew Hermes. Hello, Andrew. Hello, glad to be here. And by special guest Mike Schramm of the Voyage Comics Podcast. Hi there, Mike. Saving the best for last, right? And absolutely, yeah. You, you are the guest. I must save you for last. But yeah, be sure to follow the podcast, guys, on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast app and directory of choice. And you can find us on social media. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash StarQuest Media. And on Twitter, where we are at SQPN. Or on Instagram, where we are at StarQuest Network. And please do us all a favor by sharing the podcast with your friends or any comic book geeks out there who you know, because we're going to have a lot of great discussions in the future. But I'm really excited to talk about Across the Spider-Verse, especially because this is kind of a crossover episode. As I mentioned earlier, uh, we're joined on the panel by special guest Mike Schramm, who's one of the co-hosts of the Voyage Comics podcast. Voyage Comics is an independent Catholic comic book company. Um, I've actually had the privilege to help uh, story edit and brainstorm a couple of their comic book issues. And I've actually been a regular uh, contributor to the blog for, geez, about Three and a half years now? That, that's pretty insane. And Mike, I know you because you uh, currently edit the blog. Um, so why don't you yeah. tell us uh, a bit about yourself, the, uh, the Voyage comic show, and uh, why you wanted to join us for our discussion of Across the Spider-Verse. Yeah, how many uh, posts do I need to put on now that you're having me uh, on the show, Thomas? How many is this going to be worth? <laughs> how many do I have? <laughs> anyway yeah sorry so i've been uh helping with the or creating the voyage podcast with one of my friends jacob claddy and um, we've been doing that for i guess it'd be about six months now even though or they've been releasing for about six months but we've been kind of putting it together really the past year mike lavoy approached me and talked to me and we knew each other beforehand and we've had a lot of good conversations about these sorts of things whether it's you know the the first um spider-verse movie or just any of the works of fantasy literature comics superhero movies things like that and just because of my background in i i teach uh, theology at a catholic school both the high school and college in the area that i live in and so i'm always kind of thinking about these things through that lens Fortunately, I get to do a lot of that stuff in my work where um, I actually have one of my, my students will, they'll have to take some work of contemporary, I, I call it the contemporary or modern fairy tale. They'll take one of the like Disney movies and they have to find some sort of theological angle to write it from. And so it kind of helps them kind of see the world through that. Lens. So I've already been, kind of been thinking along these lines for so long. And so getting to kind of have those conversations has been been really fun. And then uh, same thing with the blog. I mean, the blog's been around long, long before I started, you know, my, my work with editing it. 
Um, but it's doing a lot of those same things. And so getting to kind of immerse myself in that world a little bit more has, um, I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, no, and that's that really jives with what we do here at SQPN of just talking about a lot of these fantasy and sci-fi and superhero shows, that Catholic angle and looking for the deeper layers. Because, you know, I encounter people all the time who are just like, oh, you know, superhero movies are so superficial and yada, yada, yada. But no, I, th- I think like they are they, they really are the modern myths. And so I, I think that especially with Spider-Man, he's such a I mean, iconic is an overused word, but he's a very archetypical kind of mythic character. My co-host, Jacob, who is Eastern Orthodox, he would love that you're referring to it as iconic. So, Oh, <laughs> well, yeah, and you know what? My my, nice. uh, my brother is actually uh, a, a, attends a Byzantine Catholic church. And we, okay. we have so we have icons around our house. So, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to get used to using that term in the more Catholic and Orthodox sense of the icon. You know, I was thinking about what you were saying before about people not taking superhero movies seriously. And I was thinking, were there people in ancient Greece who were walking around like, oh, Hercules, that's just a story. Why are you thinking so deep about it? No, there were. There were, because I've read some of the, the Greco-Roman philosophers where they say that. They're like, oh, those myths, never mind. Like, don't even pay attention to them. And I'm like, oh. So it's always been there. Yeah, I, I, I think that there. strain has kind of always been there in culture but yeah no and uh, speaking of like you know myths of epic scale like this movie definitely is and i i, w- I want to go around the the panel and get your guys initial thoughts about this movie um andrew how about you what's what was your initial thoughts of across the spider-verse wow uh it was spellbinding i think that's that's a good word i was really visually stunned by it i mean the first one was definitely an experience. I considered the first one like the best animated feature film I've ever seen. And after watching this one, I came out of it like they somehow topped the first one, in my opinion. You know, I was obviously expecting another visual spectacle and great animation and and all that. But I they somehow like they they did something better. Uh, I, I felt like they did. They obviously achieved the sort of animation heights that they did with the first film and and found like new ways and and sort of new techniques and whatever i mean i don't know how they did it i know i know like hundreds and thousands of animators work on this um so it's uh you can see that full work on display and so watching the film in imax uh was was really like one of the the best cinematic experiences i can remember you know it'll definitely stand out i mean i think since like maybe watching endgame in the theaters it was uh and on top of all that i mean it's a great story it, it handles the multiverse i think better than any comic book movie we've seen so far you know i think it, it already does a way better than the mcu has been handling the multiverse <laughs> uh, and and anything on like the cw shows tried to do and is this it's it's a movie that's like has a ton of characters. Obviously, we see a plenty more different iterations of Spider-Man, Spider-Girls, and Spider-Pigs, and and all and whatnot. But it's still somehow has a, it's still filled filled with heart. You know, it, it it's an emotional story. You really deeply care about these characters and the sort of plots and the sort of plot twists and uh the the, the journey that we go on is really compelling. It makes for a unique cinematic experience because they, they can do things that you can't do in live action. And it's really like comic books come to life and, and uh, like the first one was. And 
I think with this one, the stakes are are even higher, and and with it, you know, being part of a trilogy and ending on a cliffhanger, you know, it just leaves you wanting more. So I I had a I had a blast with this one, and and you know I. I I thought about it a lot after watching it, and I still am now. So I, I can't say enough about how much I enjoy this this film. What about you, Pat? What were your uh, initial thoughts? You know, I loved how it stayed true to form. You know, it was kind of the first movie was very much comics brought to life, and it was very integrated with the music. Like the music was very much part of the experience of the the movie in a kind of a way that goes a little above and beyond typical movie cinematic like music or orchestral music, because they used a lot of more modern music and more modern beat schemes and modern ways of portraying the various things they want you to try and feel, because that's what... Oh, I've, I've been listening to the soundtrack like every day still. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great soundtrack. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out Metro Boomin. That's what it's trying to do is is to try and elicit feelings as you move through the scenes, right? You know, uh, if you ever watched a suspense movie with like Muted, they're almost funny. Right. I watched I remember watching a shark movie like the Meg or whatever with it muted and I would I laughed a lot through that movie because it wasn't suspenseful anymore because the music wasn't there. You know, the roaring sound and then absence of sound that they can use to really draw you in. And I love that they kept that like it, it very much felt like you could get drawn into miles through not just the visuals but also the audio, uh, and you could really put yourself into sort of his world via the way he heard his world. Uh, and I love the fact that we went, you know, they did another scene where basically you're listening to him, listening to music. Sucker for the fourth wall stuff, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's right, yeah. And they did, I thought it was very interesting, some of the music they played around with, some of the, like, the villain themes from the original that they moved on to different characters in this one that you realize, like, the first time you see... Spider-Man 2099, you kind of, you get the villain music or, or kind of a variation on it. And I love the, the way they played with that through the movie. It, I don't know, maybe it was about a third, somewhere between a third and two thirds of the movie. Like it just slammed into me. I was like, this is really good. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, you know, beyond the spectacular visuals and the spectacular audio, like the, the movie itself was just really good. I can't tell you what exactly made me think that it was just a switch that went off in my head. I was like, this is really good and i'm gonna have to watch this at least three to four more times <laughs> to really get it all but i loved it i love pretty much every minute of it mm. and mike i i don't think i asked you this before we were recording but have you been a spider-man fan before these newer animated ones well yeah so i mean i kind of came of age for these the toby Maguire trilogy but uh and and then i remember Lungen. probably even more so the, the cartoon <laughs> as a kid the the television cartoon um, like the actual comics, it probably wasn't the comic that I, I read the most because they weren't really the comics that my dad had. And so from just the straight comics, I wasn't asked other than G, other than just the like kind of encyclopedia ones that you might find where it's just like everything Spider-Man, not necessarily like this issue, that issue, but you kind of just know a lot about the character. But then, yeah, like I said, I came of age more for the, the Tobey Maguire one. And then by the time the Andrew Garfield iteration, I just wasn't, you know, pursuing it as, as heavily. Um, I think I saw the the first one. And then same thing with the Tom Holland and the MCU. It was more just because it was part of the MCU. It wasn't like specifically like, oh, it's Spider-Man now. So this one, I mean, it felt, and obviously it felt very different 
in general, like even if you were a huge Spider-Man fan, the, the whole Miles Morales um, storyline or the Spider-Verse movie in terms of animation style and story and all that, it should have come off as very different anyway. Yeah, just with kind of my familiarity or, or background and, and that sort of thing, it just really struck me. But in, this is talking more about the first one back in 2018. But then, uh, you know, obviously continuing that, that yeah. story. So. Yeah, and I, I know you recently wrote a piece for the Voyage blog about how they portray these kind of multiverse, yeah. this multiverse philosophy, like in general. I, I know you have thoughts on that. Well, so, and I mean, really, it was convenient that it came out right before the, the Across the Spider-Verse movie, but it wasn't even necessarily directed at Across the Spider-Verse. It was just more the, what can sometimes be the underlying theme to a lot of multiverse storylines. And this goes across the board. This is whether we're talking, you know, Doctor Strange, whether we're talking even like Rick and Morty and all the multiverse stuff that they do. And it creates this sort of air of insignificance to the individual because it's like, oh, well, you're just this small speck of dust in this huge universe. Well, all you're doing is making the universe bigger, which is supposed to kind of like imply that you're even more insignificant. And it's like, that's, you're kind of missing the point still. So that was, I mean, that was just one of the things that came up about it. And I felt like they, they they did kind of play with that in this movie, right? The idea, and oh, I didn't say at the top of the episode, spoilers, everybody, if you have not <laughs> seen this movie. Oh, yeah, I haven't said anything yet. We're going to spoil this movie, but like the, the fact that... I haven't seen part two yet, so I'm, I'm excited. I've heard good things. But. Right, yes. <laughs> From the future yeah. of part two. But yeah, like... Nine, uh, 2099, you know, tells Miles, you you were never supposed to be Spider-Man. And that sort of idea mm-hmm. of insignificance versus the significance of the individual, I think, is definitely something they play with. It's exponential to what the other Spider-People were telling him in the first movie, right? It's like, you're not, you know, you're not ready, you can't do this, you shouldn't be here, or you shouldn't be doing this. And so now it's like you're taking that same thing from part, or from, um, into the Spider-Verse, and you're blowing it up to, you know a huge proportion. Yeah. And, and two, it, it, it allows them to play this, that whole idea of insignificance. It allows them to play with kind of like ideas of fate and free will. Like, does the individual really have any agency? And they, they introduced an interesting concept in this movie that I should have seen coming. I don't know how I didn't. And that was canon events that there are, there are certain aspects of Spider-Man's story that seemingly apply to every iteration of Spider-Man and Spider-Woman. What, what did you guys think of that, of the, the canon events idea, both as a storytelling device and just like a new idea for a Spider-Man story? I don't know if it's been done in the comics before, but this was the first time I encountered it. Yeah, I mean... Where's the, where's the universe where there are no canon events? That's what I'm waiting for. Isn't that what should be coming up next? Mm. Right? The universe where there aren't canon, because if there is, if there's so many, multi, you know, if it's such a multiverse, and that, and I know I'm kind of playing off of the same thing that you're bringing up, right? Which is like, we're going to treat these things as so important, and yet you personally are so unimportant, even though you have this role to play in canon event X, Y, canon event X, canon event Y, canon event Z. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was a, it's a cool device. I mean, obviously, in like crossover event comic, comics like Crisis on Infinite Earths or Flashpoint. You know, uh, yeah, there are certain like events that, that happen that, that sort of affect all the universes. Um, and you see, I mean, you see that in the MCU too, like with the, the TVA and how they're trying to keep everything in order. Yeah. You know, that's, that's pretty much Spider-Man 2099's role. And, and the spider society is, is making sure everything, you know, happens as it should. Right. And, 
it's kind of a it's it's a cool story device and and it, it kind of serves as like another villain it's probably the major villain for miles because he's trying to break that mold like uh, the cliffhanger at the end you know i mean before we get to the cliffhanger you know hit the whole point is like he's trying to go make sure his dad doesn't die right and he's he's trying to go against the you know what should happen against the canon event and like you mentioned like his whole existence his his the whole reason for him being spider-man is because uh, it went against the canon event so like it was an event that wasn't supposed to happen so he's kind of like been fighting this again like you mentioned since the first film since into the spider-verse so it's it's something that you know the like the villain is awesome in this movie the spot right oh the spot spot. yeah Yeah. the spot yeah like he's a great villain i mean he's like a d-list villain in the comics but like they 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 heightened him elevated him to like i mean visually they make a joke about that too so it's the same kind of like fourth wall like Mm -hmm. meta kind of storytelling yeah yeah and it was very clever how they use sort of like power set and and how we kind of he doesn't have a lot of screen time in the film but his presence is is really felt and and visually, he's he kind of has his own thing going on, and it's, it looks really cool. So I I think him coupled with the whole like Miles trying to sort of beat or, or overcome the Spider Society and these canon events, I think it's a really cool challenge for him, and and it's sort of a unique way of incorporating this multiverse concept into the story. You know, it's it's not just an excuse to meet all these different characters; it's actually something that is going against him. And uh, I thought it's I thought it was brilliant. And and I don't know if you're like the canon event memes with Spider Man twenty ninety nine. If you're if you're like on TikTok or social media, they've been hilarious. <laughs> so, oh, okay, uh, yeah. interesting. So it's kind of taken a life on its own uh, in on, in like the TikTok world. And they used to say that you need to you know be well versed in literature so that you get the the jokes that pop, that the culture makes. Well, now it's you need to be versed in movies so that you can get the jokes that social media mm, makes. Right. You very, have to get all true. the Star Wars memes. You have to get all yep. the you know canon event memes whatever the new set of memes are yeah yeah i you know so yeah it's that that part has been fun too i thought what was um super interesting to me was that spider-man 99 and he had i can't remember his name so i'm terrible with names but miguel miguel he's he's not the one ultimately who's enforcing the canon event right like the universe itself enforces it like we and we see that you know both in his backstory he tells where you know he tried to jump to another world effectively live there as him who had died and he just takes his place and then the whole world gets like wiped out by itself by whatever by the cosmos and then we see that play out in uh, was it Moonbatten <laughs> with the uh, the Indian Spider Man oh yeah after after you know the police chief gets saved or the captain gets saved. And then the the universe starts to eat itself, right? And the thing pops up and they have to put those pylons down to stop it. And so he's not, like, he is the bad guy, but also he's not. Like, he's not the one, like, he's not doing this. If it was up to him, right, he wouldn't have had that happen. He would have just lived his life with his daughter and, and just been happy. But the universe seems to be imposing this. And so I found that, like, even though he is sort of set up as, like, that villain for that uh, even though the spot is the ultimate villain, but for that episode or for that movie, he's trying to stop something more terrible from happening. And when he says like, we're the good guys and he says it like, you know, we're the bad guys kind of way. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's still not wrong. Like he's still trying to save all of the people from that universe, because as far as he knows, like if miles pulls this off and saves his dad, it still wipes out their universe. 
Like it's still a bad deal at the end of the day. And I thought that was an interesting idea of kind of like free will and fate. So there is sort of this faded system where the Spider-Man has to fall in line and have these experiences. And if he tries to fall out of line, then the fate monster will come along and destroy his universe. But he still has the free will to choose, right? It's not like a necessarily faded way in, in the same way fate plays out in a lot of fairy tales or a lot of stories for them. Oedipus had the free will to choose too. Yeah, that, well, that's, that's true. Yeah, so yeah. I mean, isn't that every? Isn't that the real bad guy in every myth? Is it's it's all it's always fate is the real bad guy. You know, there's so many of the mythological stories too, and that's so it's the same kind of you know similar pattern. Yeah, definitely, and it, it to my mind it calls to mind you know like the Norse and you know Goddardamarung, you know Ram, Ragnarok, the, the yeah. Twilight of the Gods, where it's like it's it's inevitable, and fr- from there perspective for 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 all the the Aesir the Norse gods know nothing they do prevents it and whenever they try to prevent it they just make it happen faster so i i think there's definitely yeah like they're they're playing on themes that are as as old as mythology just in like a new in a new way with our new mythological characters with with superheroes and yeah it, it, it it's interesting because I thought I, I was afraid that that things weren't going to work because I'm like, well, in my mind, Spider-Man is always like, well, he's he's friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, you know, and sometimes he teams up with the Avengers and it's great. But it's like and not having read any of the Spider-Verse comics, I'm like, is this really going to work where they bring him into like this multiverse like spider society where there's hundreds of thousands of Spider-Man, you know, like it, it does that diminish him as friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. And I don't think so because it's still Miles's story. You get to see him with his parents and his, you know, the the fellow students at the school he goes to and the people in his neighborhood. There's like a lovely little moment when, okay, uh, remember when the spot is robbing the ATM? And I love that Spider-Man is on a first name basis with the guy who runs the little yeah. general store. Yeah, yeah. How much do I owe you for this? <laughs> yeah, how much do I owe you for this? And he's like, Spider-Man, it's free to just get that guy. And like, I like that he knows the people in his neighborhood. And clearly he's had to prevent this place from being robbed before. And he just has these relationships with people in the community. And I, I just like, yeah, they, they keep him. I think it's because he's grounded as a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man that he doesn't get swept away into this whole, Oh my gosh, the spider society and all that. He can see their weaknesses in a way or that they're, but he sees things which to them are blind spots. Well, what do you guys think about that? Yeah. And I think uh, all that you mentioned and also Gwen's story being highlighted, yeah. in this, it, it really keeps the the film grounded because you see the, the story arc with her and her father. Um, and then also between her and, and Miles. And I thought it was a good choice, like having her kind of sort of be like the, the, the conduit, the, the, the through line to the, the whole spider society aspect and, and how she has to struggle with like, well, do I let Miles know about this? Do, do I let him in? Do I disappear forever and, and leave him alone? Like that, that sort of like all those emotional arcs and and journeys that these characters go through keep the film really grounded juxtaposed with all the fun stuff with the spire society and and all the easter eggs and and uh and then like the epic sort of chase at the end 
Like it, 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 there's, there's this emotional through line through all of it. And, and it's not just there for like fanfare. Part of why I, I really, uh, enjoy the movie is because it's not just fan service. It's like you're, you're, you're really invested in, in these characters. And, uh, and that's really hard to do with animation too, especially, you know, we're not like, you know, we're adults watching this. So it's, 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 it's gonna, it's gotta be elevated in a way, uh, to where we, uh, Feel what these characters are feeling and and i thought they did as good as a job as you can and the and the, like you can see like the relationships with like that miles has with his parents has evolved you know it's the parents are dealing with the sorts of things that typical parents deal with with, with kids that age you know and um it, it it all feels relatable it feels real i think those sort of like quieter scenes or, or like street level scenes are what makes this movie sort of very spider-man-esque like it's you're like you said you you have that friendly neighborhood spider-man feel to it along with this whole big multiverse story that they're trying to tell yeah i i, I thought that they, they did as, as good as a job as you could having to deal with all those sorts of juggling those aspects of, uh, of that character yeah i thought it was a real strong opener having gwen's story basically be like the first 10 minutes before we even get like the title screen right before you even get the spider-man across the spider-verse and then you see you see at the same time you have miles's story going on you also see gwen's story uh, evolve from that place where you see her go off to the the spider-verse and the relationship with her father and the interplay of like why she doesn't want to go back. It's not just simple, I don't want to deal with him from an emotional perspective, or I don't want to deal with the world from an emotional perspective. She's also terrified that she's going to have to watch him die because he's a police captain, and what happens to police captains is they die, and so she doesn't want to go back. And and then like how that revolves into her finally like watching Miles interact with his parents and having things go just so terribly wrong within the Spider-Verse and seeing uh, Miguel for maybe being a little bit of a megalomaniac (laughs) and watching, I think, witnessing Miles save the day for uh, the other Spider-Man in uh, Mubatan and, you know, him getting to get the captain and and the friend still being alive. And then reconsidering, well, maybe I can go back and maybe I can. And having her actually go through that and getting and us getting to witness, it was interesting because it meant we weren't just following Miles, but we were also following her through the, through her own storyline. I think that was one of the things that made the movie really good to me is we weren't just watching a single character's growth, who we, who we had watched already grow quite a bit from the first film and who we were watching sort of grow in this next film. We were watching, also getting to watch Gwen grow. And her story kind of changes it went. And I thought that was really, really cool. Yeah, I mean, isn't that the, like, in every, especially larger-than-life figure, you know, when, when you're putting that character, that person into, whether it's a movie or a, a story of some kind, is you, you have to find that some sort of small connection. And so nobody connects with the multiverse, but they connect with Spider-Man. Or nobody connects with the Avengers, they connect with Tony Stark and Captain America. So, you know, whether it's showing the familial relationships or... You know, I guess even though I was maybe um, sounded critical of the the canon events and how much emphasis is placed on it, as a viewer, it is very convenient for us because we can hear, you know, somebody like Spider-Ham say something (gasps) and we know a lot of the backstory. So, and I'm actually thinking of um, the first movie, but when he says like, we all have lost somebody or the hardest part is you can't can't save save everybody. everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Because we know Spider-Man and we know the canon events, we can imagine that for Spider-Ham, for Spider-Man Noir, for Spider-Gwen. Right. And then obviously they're the, um, the later movies or they're kind of filling in the pieces a little bit. But that's kind of one of the convenient things for us is 
we can already have that sort of built-in connection and say, you know, whether it's this version or that version or, or whatever. Yeah, definitely. And I like that. I know, Mike, in your notes that you sent me, you mentioned how like in this movie, we see a lot more of Miles' relationship with his mom. Whereas in the first movie, it's very much an emphasis on him and his dad, rightly. But I like that we, I like we get that dynamics where we see how his parents work together as a couple and as parents trying to raise this kid right, but also know, knowing that he's he's getting to that age where they, they kind of have to let him go a little bit and let him make mistakes, you know, that they're not always going to have control over what happens. And I, th- I thought that the family scenes were some of the, the most effective, like emotionally, too, in, in the whole movie. I, th- I thought that was great. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, not only is it because Miles is a little bit older and he's had a little bit more, like, you know, or different experiences, you can see how specifically the the issues that are coming up in in part two, it's like it resonates more with his his mom, his relationship with his mom. Whereas a lot of that growing up, going out into this new experience or this new school, which was um, into the Spider Verse, you can see how that would resonate so much with his dad. And obviously, they both had a part to play in both mm-hmm. movies, but how there's much more of an emphasis on one and then the other. Yeah, I definitely think too that. Um, oh yeah, and we got to see uh, before I forget, we got to see. Peter come back, you know, he has a family now, Oh yeah, Yeah, which is great. That was so so terrific. (laughs) So terrific. And Mayday, the fact that the kid is called Mayday, (laughs) you know, that, that reference to May, to Aunt May, and that she's like a little terror. So it's made it. It's just brilliant. Oh, that was just so heartwarming. I I loved, I loved the, that they brought old characters back, but they also made room for some new additions to the cast. We had several a lot of toys to be sold, Tom. <laughs> that, that's right. Yeah. A lot of merchandising, merchandising. I sound cynical. I sound cynical. That's... And it's like some of them, I like how some of them, like, I was sort of vaguely aware of because I've seen them on like comic book covers and stuff. Like uh, uh, Spider Punk. I was aware of him before, but I didn't know that was his name. I'm just like, oh, yeah, the Spider Man with spikes on his, <laughs> at the top of his mask. Hmm. But yeah, I, I like that they made room for new characters and how they hint at the end of the movie of getting the band back together from the first movie. I was like, yes, all right, let's go. Because, you know, you become attached to those characters, to Noir, to Spider-Ham, to Penny Parker. And so I'm I'm glad that going forward, we're we're going to see more of them. This definitely did feel like a middle movie in a trilogy. And we, we were saying before we, we started recording that they may have pushed back the release date for the third movie. I've only heard it as a rumor. I that's all I can, you know, I don't I don't have some sort of insight and that's just what mm. I've seen rumblings or whatever. Yeah, like it's still I don't think they've officially said it's it's not coming out in March, but like all the reports are saying like yeah, the movie's not even close to being done, so. Well, and they they also it just occurred to me they have to deal with the writer strike. That yeah, that's moving everything. And there there yeah. are there are rumblings apparently of a Screen Actors Guild strike and all kinds of other stuff. So if if that's in the air, yeah, it could happen today. You know, like to yeah. be safe, they're probably just like, eh, don't expect it until later. <laughs> yeah, I think that's very safe to mm. say. But I mean, again, I mean, the quality of, the, of these films take all the time you need. Yeah, you gotta. Yeah, don't. We've seen what happens when 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 movies get rushed to production, and and I don't think they would do that with this one anyway. No. I mean, yeah. 
it's been what five years since into the spider verse so i think waiting a little extra time would be more than worth it and you can definitely tell i don't know about you guys but they i felt that they took what they did in the first movie and what they learned in the first movie in terms of visuals and clocked all that up to 11. Oh, big time. With this movie. This is one of the most visually impressive movies that I've seen in a long time. Yeah, I, I you know, something that kept catching me because, because of how many panoramic uh, views they did is that uh, Miles is the central focus of definition. Hmm. And uh, you look at Miles and how he's drawn and the things in his direct vicinity and everything has very clear lines and is very defined. And it's still a little sketchy and a little comic booky. But the further you get from Miles, the less clear and more fuzzy things get until you're like in those really big panoramic shots. I was having I was actually having trouble because I thought my eyes weren't focusing correctly when I was trying to look at like the cityscape when they're upside down looking at, at it all because all of the buildings are almost like doubled up lined on each other because they're so slightly off kilter. They're, they're just, it's more, it gets fuzzier and fuzzier and fuzzier the further you get from miles. Uh, and I thought that was, that was like a super cool technique to get you to really, to focus on. This is a really cool, awesome panoramic shot, but the important part is uh, miles and Gwen, or the important part is this, these two people doing something here. I noticed the spot also had, oddly enough, a lot of definition to him. But everything was drawn almost very clearly on him, especially when he had no spots. <laughs> it was like, he was kind of like the blank slate, but he really was blank. In that sort of setting where you have all the little dots, you know, you've zoomed in close enough, you have all the little dots making up the actual color. He doesn't have that going for him because he's just black and white and you don't need the, the pixel dots necessarily to do that because it's just blank space or it's white space. So I, I thought that was a pretty cool use of, like you said, it's like they took what they learned from the first one and dialed it up to 11. Right. Yeah, definitely. And it was it was also, again, one like the first one, it felt the most like a comic book brought to life. And I feel like a lot of times oh, yeah. when a when a superhero movie feels that way. It's often an animated one simply because, like we've said before, you can do things in animation that you sometimes can't get away with in live action, either because the budget's not there or it just looks preposterous in live action. No matter. I mean, Spider was was Spider-Punk. He was a a different frame rate than every other character. Was that what was up with him? Okay, yeah, yeah. he was, you know, and, and like he. He's constantly, you know, like a like a typical punk rock, you know, magazine or poster. It's, it looked like he was just constructed of of like different patches of of like magazines. And, I, and, I said to I said to my it was like um like the Sex Pistols. It looked like it exactly. was like uh, you know like you were seeing the which I mean I, again punk rock that totally makes sense. But yeah. so yeah, the way that it was sort of laid out like that is what it reminded me of. Yeah, you couldn't do that in live action. You know, like you, you is like they would just look so weird if like. <laughs> Oh, you composited a character in, in a different frame rate. Like it would, it would just look so. It wouldn't, it wouldn't look good. Mm-hmm. I don't care how yeah. <laughs> how hard you try. So yeah, it's it's cool how like every, almost every character has their own aesthetic. Like and like Gwen's her Earth has its own sort of aesthetic. Is very like colorful. Lots of like blues and and pinks. You know, it, it was and like as as the spot like evolved, like he he sort of got like darker and and like more scribbly and right um, yeah yeah it, it, it's just yeah it, 
like you said, there's stuff you can you can get away with in animation, um, and and I feel like they they use that to their advantage. I think the spot's an interesting character because he's one of those classic kind of supervillains where he thinks Spider-Man knows who he is and think that Spider he thinks Spider-Man <laughs> thinks his relationship with him is very important. As much as he thinks it's important. And then when he realizes that he's not the center of Spider-Man's attention, he gets so upset. (laughs) (laughs) And I, I, I thought that I've seen that done in, I think in, in like in, in other superhero cartoons before. And I've always thought that's kind of a funny trope where the villain thinks, well, of course you remember me. I was this guy in the background at the, at the particle accelerator and, Doofenshmirtz and Perry the Platypus <laughs> and uh, Phineas and Ferb. That's the whole thing. He doesn't, he doesn't realize that, yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's it. That he's overblowing the or the sense of grandeur is to uh, mm-hmm. something. Evil Incorporated. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> A little jingle. SQPN will have to start Secrets of Phineas and Ferb next, oh, the next uh, we'll podcast. Like, all over that. <laughs> <laughs> Don't cut this no, out. yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it, and it's interesting because almost like it was it was kind of confusing for me at first. Where I'm like, so I'm like, so who is the villain of this piece? Because uh, from the trailers, it makes you think it's 2099, and he clearly like he he is an antagonist. But from his point of view, like we said before, he thinks he's saving the multiverse. He's almost like a Thanos type character in that way. Where like. He's going to have to have a redemptive arc in part three, or the, across. Like, he's going to have to have his, like, you know, you, you guys were talking about how in part one, we kind of have that, like, intro for Miles, and part two is that intro for Gwen. I'm almost wondering if part three is going to have that intro for Miguel, mm. and you're going to get to see him, you know, losing his daughter, trying to be, join that new world, and have, you know, have his cake and eat it too, and then that world imploding or whatever is going to happen. And so you get sort of a little bit more filled out to his motivations. And not that you're going to like side with him, but there's going to be some sort of convergence, right? Where there's going to be some make or break moment and he's going to, you know, join the good guys, so to speak, or do the right thing in the, I, you know, I, like I said, I just, that it seems like it has to, it's fitting that it would do something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like almost the, like I mentioned earlier, like the, the villain is like sort of, it's, it's time. Mm. It's, It's the multiverse itself. It's these canon events, right? He's, all working against him. It's funny, the the Flash that just came out, it was sort of the same thing. There wasn't like a clear villain in the film. Like you see Zod in the trailers and stuff, but Zod's really not the ultimate villain in that in that movie. We're gonna have a conversation about that film maybe on another episode. Right. <laughs> but uh but it was sort of the same thing. It's like it really what what Barry's fighting in that film and what Miles is fighting in this film is 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 time and, and he's uh, when we get to the end of the movie he's he's trying to get to the right earth. <laughs> He ends up this kind of goes line. with the whole deconstructionist storytelling that is part of every superhero movie hmm. now is right. you can't just have a straight up bad guy. The bad guy has to be, like you said, fate or time or yeah. it has to be some sort of more systematic, like bigger, impersonal force. Yeah. As opposed to I'm going to fight, you know, I'm going to fight Zod. I'm going to fight Thanos. I'm going to fight whoever. And so it's like it's very I mean, it kind of fits with that whole, uh, you know, just that's how we have to understand superheroes now. Right. It's not satisfying or it's not interesting enough for Superman to just fight Zod or whatever the case may be. Yeah, because we've seen it before. Yeah. We've seen Spider-Man fight Green Goblin. We, you know, we, we, we've yeah. seen we've seen the Justice League try to defeat Darkseid. Like, you, you, 
we've seen we've seen it in, in other animated films and live action films like the sort of origin stories or like the, the a-list sort of villains so now like comic book movies are at a point where they want to tell these sort of grander you know big event type films where like in the comics where they're big huge crossover events w- w- kind of hard to maybe when you're reading the comics bef- maybe 10 years ago you know before like we we've had all these big crossover events and films. Maybe you're really like, oh, how could you, how could you make this into a movie? It'd be so hard. But you know, I think these writers and and directors and all the creative minds that work on these films, they're they're just doing such a great job adapting mm. these sort of stories to film. And it's not always successful, but in in this case, with uh, these Spider Verse films, they're they're doing a heck of a job. Mm-hmm. And and uh, I think it's it's really paying off. You know, because I think if you if if they just did the run of the mill, like Miles is gonna fight his version of green goblin and his version of doc ock like you know i'm sure the movies would be fine but you know this 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 sort of elevates it to to something you know we've literally never seen before visually and and uh and from a story standpoint do you think audiences will get weary of the multiverse eventually i think they have <laughs> i think they already <laughs> have we're there we're there, there already <laughs> no, already there in this version we have in this timeline yes yeah yeah, yeah. yeah in this timeline we're yeah we're, we're young. well you see there I might mean, be one where it can go on infinitely but yeah i mean with like with the flash like it it, it totally bombed and i know there are other factors that went into that but i think in the state of uh where dc's at which we discussed in a previous podcast you know they're 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 going in a totally different direction and the flash is kind of like a child of the past you know it's 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 sort of like it's from the old dceu which is i guess you know which is over now and it uh is telling and it's and it's trying to do the flash it's trying to tell this flashpoint story in its own way and people just didn't go see it and then you see the state of marvel there's other factors that go into too but they're trying to tell this whole multiverse story but it seems like they don't they're trying to figure it out as they go along you know it's not like they had this grand plan like you know i i guess with the 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 first the infinity saga where it was kind of mapped out for the most part like kevin feige had had the idea of where where we're going to end up and it, it seems like you know with with all these like disney plus shows and and trying to with the movies put in there and and then trying to react to Oh, maybe audiences don't like this, so maybe we should change things. You know, I, I think I think audiences are getting sort of tired of this whole multiverse thing because it's like, okay, well, do I have to watch this show in order to know what's going to happen in this film? And you know that, like, I don't really, I'm not really into this show. Is is it okay if I skip it? Like, it, I, I think that sort of aspect of it can can challenge audiences. But I think when we're just talking about this into the Spider Verse trilogy, it's all contained. Yeah. So it's not like you have to watch other things to get what's happening in these films. So I think that has it going for itself. Mm-hmm. It's not like this big like. But you have to see the Tom Holland one to get the Donald Glover joke, though. So it's like <laughs> that's it's true. Just, uh, you know, yeah, it's, it's fine if you get an Easter egg. Everything, everywhere, all at once yeah. to get that one joke. <laughs> and you have to see you have to see that one episode of Community where he yes. wears Spider-Man pajamas oh to get the whole thing. Right, falls apart. Yes, oh, nice. That's like, cool. Well, Tom, this goes actually. This goes back to one of our first points where we were talking about like the whole like. Again, my issue with the the multiverse isn't the multiverse per se. It's more that it undermines the value of the individual person. And in this case, what you're asking about when you say multiverse fatigue is it's it's that same question, but projected onto stories in mm. general, right? So like you're saying that when when the multiverse gets so big, 
it starts to make these individual stories matter less. And so people are asking, do I need to watch this one and this one and this one just to get this other one? And so it's making all the smaller stories matter less. You don't get, a, get as invested because you don't see how they all fit together into this big plan. And it goes back to actually the um, people who are asking the same question, not about the multiverse, but about superhero movies. They're saying, are we getting superhero fatigue, superhero movie fatigue? And this goes back to, you know, we had the, the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. We had the Christopher Nolan Batman. We were just kind of starting to lean into the Iron Man and then what we now know as the MCU phase one, phase two, all that stuff. It wasn't that we were getting sick of superhero movies. It was that they all just were these disconnected little bits. We wanted a big, grand, overarching story. And now we got that with the whole, you know, end right. like saga. And everybody's been trying to, to copy that. But, you know, Marvel was left with where do we go from here? And we just have to make it bigger. But now you can't bring all those back into one overarching story again. And so it makes them all matter less. And it's the same thing. Like I said, that's the same problem that multiverses have with all of us individually is, well, if there's just 500 billion other versions of me, then do I even matter in the first place? Or does my story mm. even matter? And that's the, that's, the, that's the problem with it is, again, not that that's actually true that we don't matter, but it presents that as if that's the case, right? It creates this sort of like nihilism about my own existence. And, and Miles definitely has to confront that head on, right? Because before I forget, he meets at the end of the movie an evil version of himself, Miles as Prowler. Which, again, how I didn't see that coming, I'm not sure. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're just so awestruck by the visuals that you can't... Yeah, it, yeah. it, like, left-hooked me hard. I was not... I did not see that coming at all. And I was like, oh... <laughs> well, just the fact that it would take him to this other universe, right? That it would take him to the universe where the spider was right. from. Right, yeah. From. I mean, that was... That was but see, what I, I really love about that was that it, it kind of takes that notion that you don't matter as part of this, since you're no longer part of just a single universe, you're part of a multi-universe. The fact that the, in the Spider-Verse, or what, what did Miguel call it? It was like the, was the, the multi-universal connected. And, and Miles is just like, Spider-Verse is better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it, it takes that and says, no, 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 they're all connected somehow. Um, and Miguel has this theory that if you don't follow the canon events in enough places, that it all falls apart. And Miles gets to see firsthand how much the him becoming Spider-Man or the existence of Spider-Man or not in a in a multiverse has on all of the other people around him um, and how much like what he does does matter at the same time as as being thrown in. So I, I liked how it played with that via the canon events. It was sort of like these are the connecting things. And if they don't play out, it doesn't just affect this universe. It could repercuss to the rest of them which is exactly what's going on with the whole Miles problem, right? Because he gets bit by a spider from another universe because there was a collider, and now he has a villain that, is, that literally spent a good five minutes universe hopping in what was just an amazing montage <laughs> of, of, like, self-discovery on the part of the spot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Talking to people as he's going around. <laughs> and, so sorry that I sorry that my brain had to go in this direction, but you know, we think about um we think about the last judgment and how we're gonna see the, the consequences of our actions, good and bad, and how they played out in God's plan. Think of how much longer that's gonna take now that you're not only thinking about the consequences of your actions in this timeline, but in every timeline, right? So think of all the ripple yeah. effects. And that's that's gonna be a very long mm -hmm. last judgment if you think about uh 
all that you're going to be standing in line waiting for. Okay, so this is how my action <laughs> affected in, you know, universe 162. This is how it affected in, you know, 573. It's so. becoming Jimmy Aiken's mysterious world now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> nice plug. No, yeah. So it's yeah. Tell me, call me. So it turns out, because because you prayed for yourself in all other multiverses, it actually helps uh, Patrick in Universe Fifty Nine B to to. Uh, that's that's what we call that's what we call the body yeah. of Christ, man. Yeah, it's yeah. all connected. Yeah. So, did you guys have any um, you know other general thoughts, things that we didn't touch on yet before we uh, we wrap up? Does the Tyrannosaurus Rex Spider Man have to be a photographer? <laughs> oh my gosh! That was so amazing. That. Oh, dear. Does it have to hold the camera? And how does it, does it have a very long, like, it's like a periscope for where you can see, you know, the lens? Like, it has yeah, to be. Yeah, is his surprise. earth, like, still the, prehistoric? Big, like, does, do they even have cameras? <laughs> and yeah. if that's, the, if that's, if he's the Tyrannosaurus Rex, then who's J. Jonah Jameson in that universe? Because how is he, how is he going to talk to, to a T-Rex, you know, unless so you're it's asking all the right questions. Yeah, I'm wondering how, yeah. you know, how big is yeah. the spider from that universe and how did it get radioactive? <laughs> like, like what had to happen to get this to play out? I clearly had something to do with the comet, right? But there, yeah, there, yeah, yeah. maybe that's kind of, that's where the venom came from. That's like the venom of that uh, universe it had from to come from that comet, you know, that's, that's amazing. <laughs> so much potential for, for spinoffs here. Yeah. Well, you know, in the in the first one, they had the it was like the deleted scenes or whatever where Spider Ham kind of goes and has his little episode. I don't yeah. know if you guys saw in um into the Spider Verse. So they could do that. Yeah, they could do that a, a thousand different times. Have a little seven minute clip of each of these Spider Men going back into their in perspective universes and the the therapist Spider Man <laughs> does he just do photography as a hobby and not as a job because he's already a therapist. So it's like, well, let me guess. He died. <laughs> Boom! And all the Spider-Mans rushed into his office. <laughs> oh, man. Seems a little insensitive. I know, right? It's like, that's yeah. not exactly being a good therapist there, is it? <laughs> but it, it's, it's supposedly it's a version of Peter being a therapist, so I don't yeah. think Peter would make a good therapist anyway. <laughs> You're too many quibs. You're too many quibs to be a, <laughs> to be a therapist. Right. Yeah, unprofessional, unprofessional to make all those jokes. Yeah, I mean, one thing I, I, you know, what I was thinking about with this film at the at the end of it. Well, first of all, I felt like this is like you mentioned earlier. It's it's definitely a middle movie, and and, and it reminded me of like Empire mm-hmm. Strikes Back, where it's it, it, you know it ends yeah. on a on a cliffhanger, but it's it's still very satisfying, like as a standalone. Like that's the majority uh, of Star Wars fans, you know, name that one as the best. And, uh, and who knows this, this film might end up being the best of this trilogy. That's yet to be seen. But, but yeah, this movie, like, as it stands alone is, you know, incredible. And, and uh, we've been singing its praises, you know, for almost an hour now. But what, what, what I think this, this, this movie ultimately, what it's trying to do is like with the first film, it was like, okay, it's the typical like Spider-Man, like, oh, we've gone through all these losses. Like Miles sort of connects with the other characters in the first one because they have these sort of shared experiences you know, suffering losses and, and that sort of like Spider-Man's, at least Peter Parker's. And, and obviously Miles has to share that in a sense. It's like Spider-Man always gets screwed in the end. Like he, uh, no matter how hard Spider-Man tries, he's going to lose loved ones. He's, he's gonna, he always loses his uncle and Aunt May dies in, in some of the comics and, and in the movie, uh, you know, like it, it just happens to Spider-Man. It's, it's sort of a, 
inevitable for for that character and and in this film the they're trying to push against that it's like can miles overcome the typical spider-man defeat you know can he overcome this canon event of his dad dying can you know uh and what happens when when the canon is broken like who do you become what what kind of person Mm. does that make you like 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 miles would have never became spider-man if if that the sort of that again when the, that spider if that spider never entered his universe and like that wasn't supposed to happen right wasn't supposed to happen right so the movie's asking all these like like great questions it's like well what if what if these things don't happen or like what are these like sort of tragedies don't happen and these can events don't happen what, what who do you become what happens outside of like every universe collapsing like if these certain can events have happened and the universe has stayed intact you know for the most part all the different universes like well how far can we take this and and can we defeat fate and time and and all that so i i think it's again another elevation of 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 the story and and of a, of a spider-man arc that that we haven't really seen before yeah and i definitely i definitely have high hopes for part three i'm very invested in these characters i want to see where this all ends and it, it, yeah, it's like, I, I feel like this is kind of like, in a way, it's filling that, this series is kind of filling that emotional big superhero hook that the MCU used to do in Infinity, but is struggling with now. I think they need to kind of rediscover what, it, it's really the characters that hook audiences. And you can kind of try and craft some big overarching story, but if people don't care about the characters, then it's not going to work. Yeah, I, I have a sneaking suspicion that this is ultimately all really about Miguel. And this is Miguel's redemption arc is what we're seeing. And um, I love the comparison to Star Wars because you have the first film very much as, you know, Luke slash Miles is coming of age slash coming into a power and learning it and becoming part of a bigger world. And then you have the introduction of this villainous character who obviously still has good in him, you know, Vader. And you get the same kind of feel with with Miguel. And I think a lot of the effects of the multiverse that we see, the, the sort of destruction of the multiverse that the canon events don't go correctly, kind of tracks back to Miguel universe hopping. Right. Because what we're seeing in the first film and in the second film are the results of somebody in Miles's universe screwing with getting from a multiverse to a multiverse. And in this case, it was Kingpin. Right. But we don't know how Miguel did it and what kind of problems he caused around the multiverse. And I, I have a sneaking suspicion, his redemption arc that we're going to catch, get the full fledged of in the third movie is going to involve him coming to terms with the problems and maybe fixing the problems that he caused when he jumped universes. Well, that's the thing is like for how, how fickle implementing a multiverse can be, there has to be as, at least in this, in Spider-Verse storyline. Yeah. Where did the canon Mm -hmm. events come from? There had to have been, you know, whether you want to call it the divine (laughs) Spider-Verse mind or whatever, maybe it's Madam Web who's got the, you know, behind all of this, but it's like those canon events had to have come from somewhere in order for somebody to have betrayed them right? Whether it's Miguel or Miles or whoever it happened to be. And so that's what we need to, you know, dig a little bit deeper, right? It's, it's about going deeper into where did these spring up from or who, who imposed these in the first place? Not that it has to be an imposition, right? Because 
God willing, they're all going to discover that it's just providence in the end. Maybe there's a Boethius <laughs> version of Spider-Man who, you know, maybe has like the uh, consolation philosophy who is going to show them the the actual truth to all of it. But, uh, you know, anyway, there it had to have come from somewhere, right? You can't just keep going infinite, like literally infinite universes. It's turtles all the way down. Spiders all the way down. <laughs> Spiders all the way down. <laughs> did, did they make that joke in the movie or am I misremembering that? Spiders all the way down. I may have made that up. Yeah. yeah. That joke gets made, but yeah. When it, oh, okay. Is that, I don't think Because I was trying to remember. Am I. Mi- yeah. Yeah. Well, until part three, um, we'd like to take a moment here at Coffee and Comics to thank our patrons who make all our shows at StarQuest possible. And today, in particular, we'd like to thank James B., Father John E., Priscilla H., Darius M and Gary H, their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give help us to create the secrets of movies and TV shows and all the shows here at StarQuest. And we'd love to hear from you, our listeners. What did you think of Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse? You can let us know on our Facebook page or on Twitter. You can send an email to secrets at sqpn.com or you can visit our channel on the StarQuest Discord server at sqpn.com slash discord. And I can't keep plugging the discord enough on these shows. I have a lot of fun there and there's all kinds of awesome conversations going on. So check it out at sqpn.com slash discord. Until next time, Andrew Hermes, thank you for joining me in the secrets of Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And Pat Mason, thank you as well. All right. You're very welcome. As always, it's great being here. And Mike Schramm, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was fun. Once again, I'm Thomas Salerno, and thank you for listening to Coffee and Comics, part of the secrets of movies and TV shows here on StarQuest. There's another show on the StarQuest Network you're sure to enjoy, The Catholics of Oz. Find it wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash Oz. 